Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, hey, good morning. Let's thank our team this morning for a wonderful job leading us out. Welcome to Connect Church. I really want to say it's good to be back, but we were in 85 degree weather last week watching church online, and it was such a good time to get away with the family and uh, to be able to worship with you guys uh, from where we were. It was just really an honor and just so grateful that my youth pastor, Scott Carter, could come and he could preach the word. He did an incredible job, and, and I love him. And, and without him, and I don't know where I'd be, he gave me Jesus, and I'm just so, so thankful for him, but really good uh, to be back with you guys today. And as we begin, I want to let you know, let you in on a little something, and that is that today we are starting 21, day or, well, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Thank you so much. Let's see if we got this working. There we go. Hey, if you look in your seats, you'll have something that looks just like this sitting somewhere around you. Take a moment. Grab this thing, take a look at it with me if you will. Uh, today we're going to kick off 21 days leading up to Easter of prayer and fasting. Now, there's a QR code on here. You can scan that. You can go to our page that we've designed especially just for this. And there you're going to see some videos each week. I'm going to talk you through what fasting is, how to pray, and really how to seek the Lord through this time. And maybe the question comes, man, Anthony, why are we going through 21 days of prayer and fasting? And that is simple. Let me tell you what it isn't. And this isn't praying and fasting that we have the biggest Easter we've ever had. But really, it's not that at all. The reason why we are praying, the reason why we're going into this time of fasting is simple. Just to get more of Jesus. To draw close to him. So that when we gather together on Easter Sunday, perhaps, maybe we will worship like we haven't in a long time. Maybe our fellowship will be sweeter than it has been in a long time. Maybe our hearts more open to God moving, maybe like he hasn't done so in our hearts in such a long time. And so I encourage you guys, go home today. Hop on this time of prayer and fasting with us. Man, go to our, our website there and, and watch some of those videos that kind of prime you up, prep your heart for this time together. And I'm ex- excited to see how God is going to use this time in your heart and life and just personally in the life of my family as well. And so excited about what God is going to do. So make sure you take that with you today and join us in these 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, This past week as we were on vacation, uh, we took our four-year-old little son, of course, and along with the girls, and uh, the highlight of his trip was this guy right here. You know what this is, don't you? This is a dinosaur. It's, it's an iguana, but it's, it's a dinosaur. And on day one, when we got to our resort, Bennett saw this guy, and it made his trip. Listen, this guy, he named him Spikes. That's his name. And do you know that everywhere we went on our resort, Spikes was there? He followed us everywhere. It wasn't the fact that there were a 100 of these guys there, and they all looked the same, but he followed us everywhere on the resort. Man, during the daytime, he was really cool. At night, it got a little freaky thinking about this guy lurking somewhere in the bushes, right? But man, we had a great time with this guy. Well, Erin took a walk to the room one day, kind of by herself, and she took a picture of Spikes and his girlfriend over here, okay? And she sent it to me down by the pool where me and my son were, 
and I showed it to him. He's like, how cool is that? Spikes and this girl right there on the theme. And then Aaron told us what happened right after she took this picture. She's standing here taking a picture of this iguana, and there's one right here kind of in the bush there. And she said, as soon as I snapped that picture, this iguana started chasing this iguana right directly at her. She said she jumped up on a rock ledge. She screamed bloody murder out in the middle of that resort and thought she was done for, thought that they would absolutely terrify her and tear her apart, and exactly what they did, and they were just chasing each other. Man, I wish I could have seen it. I couldn't have paid that iguana $100 enough just to be able to do that to my precious wife. Here's the deal. You ready? You mess with an iguana, and they're going to chase you. You mess with sin, and every time, sin will destroy you. Mess with an iguana, it's going to chase you. But we mess with sin, and sin at its very heart is going to condemn and is going to destroy you and me. We're going to see that alive in the text today. So as we turn to the gospel of John, and I encourage you to go there, I want to remind you real quick what the entire aim, what the entire purpose of the gospel of John is. It's found, in fact, in John chapter 20, verse 31, and he gives it up. He says, these are written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. A gospel that is simple enough for a child to wade into, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. A gospel simple enough for a child to understand, yet profound enough that no theologian and no scholar can exhaust its teaching. So it is in John. And with John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, the author of the gospel that bears his name by the witness of the early church. It is in John 3.17 that we continue our study. The context, the same as it has been for nearly two months now. Nick at night. Nicodemus meeting Jesus at night. And today we continue to watch as this conversation continues to unfold. It is written like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now watch these words. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I love what Jesus does here in verse 17. In verse 17, Jesus takes us into the courtroom. Up until now, the language that Jesus has used has been the language of life and of death. But now the language turns to, to legal terms such as condemnation, which at its very heart means judgment. Condemnation, you know it well, don't you? You know what it does? It, it produces feelings of, of guilt and of shame over our sin, over our selfishness. To be honest with you, condemnation is not one of those fun words in the text today, but there it is. We find ourselves in verse 17 with Jesus sharing with us, stating his intentions, that he didn't come to condemn, which literally means to judge the world. You know why? He didn't have to. Well, why did Jesus 
have to come to condemn. You ready? The world itself was already condemned. The world already stood condemned in their sin. Look at this in verse 18. It says this, that whoever believes in him is not condemned. Isn't that good news? But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Those without Jesus stand condemned already. We're reminded here in the Gospel of John. We're reminded also that there is no such thing as neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Either you are in Christ or you are not. Either you are condemned in your sin or you are not condemned. Either you are perishing or you, are having, you, or you have everlasting life. There is no such thing as staying neutral when it comes to Jesus. Look at this later on in verse 36 of John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. In the courtroom setting here, we find in John 3, 17 and 18, there are only two types of people. Those who are guilty and stand condemned for their sin, and those who are not guilty, pardoned by none other than Jesus Christ himself by faith in him. Hey, can I ask you a question? Where do you sit today? Where do you sit in this courtroom? Guilty or not guilty? Condemned or not condemned? Where is it that you find yourself? Knowing this, that the text is going to remind us that the deciding factor in your case in mine is what we do with Jesus. First, verse 17 reminds us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. And can I just give you a quick application point here in the text? If God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it, I seriously doubt that he sent you and I to condemn the world. If he didn't send Jesus to do it, I doubt that he sent his church to do it. You see, Jesus sends us into the world not to condemn it, but to call people to repent of their sin, to proclaim the good news, the gospel, and to make disciples. I am with Paul as he writes this in 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And I'm with Paul in that. You see, what happens is in, in our condemnation of others, we tend to be critical, and not constructively, but cruelly. We tend to crush people with our condemnation. We, we tend to forget that we too once stood condemned, and we're really bad at this old line, this old saying, that we, we, ought, to, we ought to hate the sin but love the sinner. We're really bad at that. We don't do that well. And so maybe, just maybe, we ought to hate our own sin and just love sinners. I think you and I could do better at that. Well, you might say, now, pastor, listen. We have the right to stand for truth and to speak the truth. We have a right to call things out that are sinful, that are unbelievable 
biblical, that are immoral. And listen to me, yes, and I would argue that not only do we have the right to, but we have the obligation to. But you and I have no right. We have no authority in God's kingdom to sit in judgment, in judge Jesus' seat, to weaponize truth, to condemn or to destroy anyone. Our calling, our commission is to love the sinner and where we can to lead sinners to Jesus. Judgment belongs to God. And he entrusted such judgment to his son according to John chapter 5 verse 22. At his second coming, Jesus, judge Jesus, will judge the sins of the world according to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And so you know what that allows us to do? That allows you and I just to leave the judging up to him. It's his job. Least we forget what Paul reminded the Colossian church, watch this, you ready? In Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and watch this legal language and free from accusation. Least we forget That once you and I stood accused, condemned to die in our sin, but the gospel, the good news that God sent his son to save the world, to save you and to save me, and by doing so, leaves you and I free from accusation. And hear me, church, free from condemnation. And this is why Paul was able to write, what is the utmost celebration in the heart of every believer in the light of the gospel, a statement that I can hear echo in the halls of heaven in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You know, know, that's so good. Let's read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to tell you, this is a text worth memorizing. It's a text worth celebrating. And it's a text worth preaching to yourself every single day. Here's some good news, church, today. God sent Jesus not to carry out a sentence against us, but to save us. Not to imprison us, but to set us free, not to punish us, but to pardon us, but to those who reject Jesus, who say, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do the things I want to do. I don't want Jesus messing up my good time. Unbeknownst to them, they are already living out a life sentence condemned in their sin, imprisoned by their sin, and they will never, listen to me, they will never escape the punishment of sin without Jesus. Such truth would lead the author of Hebrews to write in Hebrews 2 verse 3 this, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? And simply put, we can't escape the condemnation of sin 
apart from Jesus. And so back into the courtroom we go. And the verdict is in, you ready? Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. On in John 3, verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that by it they may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the very sight of God. You see, back in chapter 1 of John, we dealt with this motif of light and darkness. Light speaking of Jesus, darkness speaking of, of sin and selfishness, of evil, of godlessness. And something becomes clear in this text today. And that is the reason why people don't come to Jesus. And it's simple. Because they love their sin. John MacArthur, I love what he wrote about this. He said this, they love their sin. They don't want to come near Christ because he shines a light on their sin, exposes their sin. Sinners love sin. It's not ignorance. It's not the lacking of basic faculties of reason. It's not misunderstanding. Listen, sinners prefer moral darkness. You know, a lot of times we try to make folks who aren't in Christ victims. And the reality is, it's just a lot of people love their sin. You want to know how I know that? Because there was a time in my life where my sin was the love of my life. Charles Spurgeon would say it this way, the dislike of Christ is caused by a love of sin. If men did not, and I love this phrasing, hug their sins, they would embrace the Savior. You see why men do not come to Christ? They do not want to give up their sins. You know, there's a challenge here from John verses 16 through 21 today, and that is simply this, that some of us need to stop hugging sin and embrace Jesus by faith. You know what I used to think and still think is pretty funny? Tree huggers. You know, if you were to Google tree huggers, you would find thousands of images of people hugging trees. Listen, I love trees. We got to be good stewards of what God gave us. But these guys are just, just a little too funny. Every time I see a picture, a picture like that, and I chuckle just a little bit. But can I tell you an image that isn't funny? In fact, it's an image that's dangerous. And that is the image of a sin hugger. A person who will find themselves hugging sin while running from the embrace of Jesus. And then I'm, I'm quickly reminded of the job of the believer, and that is to remind the world just how beautiful and satisfying and loving the embrace of Jesus is. That they don't have to stand condemned in their sin, but that they can be pardoned by Jesus. This is a picture of the princess of Morocco. Her name is Princess Khadija. Back in 2007, in February, she was born. Her father, the King Mohammed of Morocco, 
man was so overjoyed, he wanted to find a grand way to celebrate among his kingdom. And so instead of passing out cigars, he issued 8,836 pardons. 8,836 pardons to celebrate the birth of his princess. I got to thinking, there's some good news you see some 2,000 years before. At the birth of the king in Bethlehem, God the Father issued pardons for every condemned person in the entire world who would but just believe in and follow his son, Jesus As it was written in Isaiah 55, verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thought. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. And today we find that free pardon in none other than Jesus. So here's the truth today to celebrate. With Jesus as our pardon, it is case closed. On condemnation, it is case closed. On your condemnation and mine. For those without Christ, those already condemned in their sin, the Holy Spirit is at work among every sinner everywhere. Jesus spoke of the work of the Holy Spirit. I missed the passage, but let me just share it with you in John 16, 8. And Jesus said this, and when he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And while the case is closed on condemnation for you and I, believer, don't you know that there are times and there are seasons when the charges of sin, when the feelings of condemnation, that guilt and that shame Don't you know that sometimes in your life they continue to linger on? Hey, we know by faith that we are no longer condemned in our sin. And and yet, guilt and the shame, those feelings of condemnation just linger on. And the question becomes why? If, If I'm condemned no longer in Christ, why do I feel like that sometimes? I came across the story of a Nigerian man, a true story. The high court convened in the lobby of his prison. He was brought before the judge, and as the court case came to a close, the judge acquitted this man of all of his charges, meaning this, that he was now free and that he no longer faced the condemnation of the court. He was a free man. But instead of celebrating like most men would in the high court that day, the now freed man demanded to go back into his prison, refused the order of the judge. In fact, he began to run back to his prison cell. He was intercepted by a prison guard who reminded him, no, sir, you are now a free man. You cannot go back into the prison. To which eyewitnesses report, he said, I am not going anywhere. I demand to go back to my prison cell. 
You and I hear that story and go, that guy's crazy. And as crazy as that story sounds, it reminds me a whole lot of me. In fact, it reminds me of, of a lot of us believers. Here we have been set free, condemnation no longer having to be a part of our story. And yet there are times and seasons in our lives where we start running back to the old ways, to the old sins. And while we're no longer condemned in our sin because of Jesus, we start walking away from the embrace of Jesus and we start hugging on sin again. And those old feelings of condemnation, the guilt, and the shame once again become part of our story. By faith I know that there is therefore now no condemnation, but the byproduct of sin conjures up those feelings of condemnation, of shame, and guilt in my heart and my life. You know what I'm talking about. And that's when the Holy Spirit of God begins to work. That's when he gets to work in the life of the believer. He, he reminds us of who Jesus is. You ready? In his work, he begins to challenge and to correct us. Watch this in Hebrews 12, 6. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts, the Bible says, as a son. This correction is sourced in the word of God, and is stirred by the very Spirit of God. Jesus, when speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, said this, but the helper, in the Greek language, that's paraclete, it means the advocate. Again, legal language here. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now watch this. And remind you of all that I had said to you. You know what's amazing? That when you and I as believers sin, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the, the Word of God, what it is to, to walk with Jesus, the high price Jesus paid for the sins we are engaged in, thus moving our hearts towards brokenness and repentance. I love what Tony Evans said here. He said this, the correction of the Holy Spirit is not intended to make us feel guilty, but rather to help us to see our need for God and His forgiveness. There's some correcting that is done. And you know what happens from correcting? We go to confessing. I love this in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that word, the Greek language means this, to see our sin as God sees it. Not just to throw out a list, but to see the ugliness of our sin, to see the high price God paid in Christ for our sin, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us or to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so when you and I begin to feel those feelings of condemnation, that guilt and that shame rising up because of sin in our lives, the Holy Spirit begins correcting us. It leads us to a place where we begin confessing our sin before the Lord, and then the confrontation happens. Jesus would remind believers that we are to bear fruit in keeping in repentance. Let me tell you what repentance is not. Repentance is not asking forgiveness for sin that you plan on doing again. That, that's not repentance. 
It's not forgiveness. Repentance is turning from the sin in our lives and embracing Jesus, trusting him, and following him. So instead of being a sin hugger, we go back to the embrace of Jesus. And so through the Spirit's correction, through confession of and the confrontation of sin, you know what I can say to feelings of guilt and shame that continue to linger in my life? You ready? Hey, case is closed. There is therefore now no condemnation for me because of Jesus. And even when this old heart begins to condemn, I love this in 1 John 3.20, that even if our hearts condemn us, we know this, that God is greater than our hearts. And here's the kicker, you ready? And he knows everything about us. And still yet, you and I preach this gospel, this good news of Romans 8.1, day in and day out, we must continue to preach to our old hearts there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But here's the last source that I want to talk through today where condemnation, those feelings of guilt and shame kind of linger on in the life of the believer, although we know by faith we are no longer condemned. And this source is from an enemy who runs his mouth a lot. In fact, the Bible would teach us this. We have an accuser in Revelation 12.10 for the accuser of of our brothers and sisters. Now watch this. Who accuses us before our God day and night. We have an enemy who not only doesn't stop running his mouth, but he doesn't know when to quit. I love what Charles Stanley says here. Watch this. Condemnation is Satan's tool to keep us trapped in our past mistakes and sins. Oh, but Jesus' sacrifice on the cross sets us free from condemnation. You know, I get to thinking of what Paul wrote in Romans 8.33 in light of this accuser whose job is to run his mouth before God day and night, accusing you and I of our sins. And I think of what Paul wrote here in Romans 8.33 when he says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? For it is God who justifies. And I get to thinking when this enemy tries his best to accuse me to dig up dirt on my past, that I can say that though I may not feel it right now, by faith I know it to be true. Hey, old devil, there is therefore now no condemnation for me because of Jesus. Shut your mouth. God never intended for his chosen to walk around crippled by condemnation. Condemnation is no longer a part of your story, believer. And that's some good news today. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. I want to close with this, that during the uh, presidency of Andrew Jackson, George Wilson, a postal clerk, robbed a federal payroll from a train, and in the process he killed one of the guards. 
In quick fashion, the court convicted him and sentenced him to hang. But in that day of Andrew Jackson, there was a rising public sentiment against capital punishment. And so President Jackson ultimately intervened in Wilson's case, offered him a pardon so that he would not have to hang for his, his sin for his crimes. But amazingly, for the first time in American history, George Wilson refused the president's pardon. Now this set off a firestorm. This had never happened. Can a condemned man refuse the pardon of the president of the United States? And so the matter was taken before the Supreme Court. Chief Justice John Marshall handed down the court's decision, and here was what he wrote. A pardon is a parchment whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It is of no value apart from that which the receiver gives to it. He writes, George Wilson has refused to accept the pardon. We cannot conceive why he would do so, but he has. And listen to his words. Therefore, George Wilson must die. And as punishment for his crime, George Wilson, who a pardon was offered to by none other than President Andrew Jackson, was hanged for his crime. You see, pardon, declared the Supreme Court, must not only be granted, it must be received. Have you received the pardon from sin that only Jesus can give? Have you by faith, by believing in and trusting in Jesus, have you received the pardon for your sin? Your story doesn't have to be George Wilson must die. It doesn't have to be that you have to die in your sin that because of Jesus, you can have everlasting life, pardon and freedom from your sins. And for the believer here today, don't be like that Nigerian man. Ran back to his old ways and his old cell, his old, his old imprisonment. You are free. And let these words echo in your heart and in your mind that there is therefore now no condemnation for you and for me who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, I've asked our team to come back up and, and to sing of the goodness of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, all I have to do is look at verses 17 through 21 today and see the goodness of God written all over those texts. I'm going to do a little something, and, and I, want to, I want to open the altar as they sing here in just a moment. And I, I wonder if some believers would join me down here and just getting on our knees and thanking Him. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who cry. 
Maybe you're a believer here today and there's some shame and guilt that's lingering in your heart and your mind. Because at some point, you've left the embrace of Christ and started hugging on sin again. I don't know what that sin is. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's something you're engaged in that maybe nobody else, you think you've got it hidden well, and yet it lays bare before the light of the world and who exposes sin in our lives because he loves us. Man, and it's eating you up. Maybe it's an attitude, a resentment, a bitterness towards somebody. Maybe it's unforgiveness that has left you sitting where you are today in just some shame and guilt. And I don't know the sin you're hugging. Man, I sure do know that Jesus, we ought to be embracing. And so, believer, in just a moment, we sing. For some of you, to come just down and thank Him for the goodness that there's therefore now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Maybe for others, your prayer is going to sound weird, but maybe it's something like this. Man, I'm tired of hugging sin. Jesus, I'm going to fall in your embrace today. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.